Hi, my name is Trixie Mattel, and welcome to Slayer Fest 98, the show where we talk about specifically Buffy the Vampire Slayer, because it's our show, and not your. Thank you for joining us this evening or daytime. Here with us today, we have some fabulous hosts and Scoobies. Let's uh, welcome Ian Carlos Crawford. Woo! Hi. Yay. <laughs> How are you feeling today? Um, I'm feeling good. Thanks, Trixie. You sound very sexual and very confident. Oh, that's. I'll take that compliment. Thank you. <laughs> Sitting beside him, metaphorically, we have Joe Reed. Hello. Okay. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. And then all the way in the other or- corner of the ring, we got Anthony Oliveira. Hi. Yay. Hi. Hi. <laughs> How are you? Here. I'm really good. I'm really good. We're all here to recap one of my favorite seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, season five. Mine too. Is there a sound for crying that is like a woo? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can cry through the woo like woo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Anthony, I feel like you were on, yeah, you and Joe both were on for the season three finale. And I love that season so much, but it really doesn't like put me through emotions, right? Like there's no, not a lot of like emotional stuff. But here there's like, I'm crying every other episode. <laughs> yeah, this season really came came to get you. Yeah. 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 Like snatching it like your like your little baby eyelashes, just like cry, damn it, cry. <laughs> yeah. It's also like it... about processing grief in such a specific yeah. like, um, torture. Like it is about taking you past like Buffy has her breakdown in the second last episode. Like it really is about pushing human emotion to its limit in a way that season three isn't. Um and it gets there to its credit. Yeah. So, like, you know, the season starts with Dracula telling Buffy she barely knows what a Slayer is and barely understands her power. Then Dawn arrives, not unlike Poochie slash Cousin Oliver, as Buffy's (laughs) younger sister. And we soon learn that she's a mystical object called the Key, the exact thing that Glory comes to town looking for. And the season ends with Buffy sacrificing herself, dying to save Dawn, the Scoobies, and the world. In our episode for The Body, Emily Nussbaum made her case for, like, Buffy's sacrifice being almost a form of suicide to, like, end her, like, torment of her life as a Slayer, specifically her Slayer her Slayer life in this season. And I thought that was, like, a pretty good... I don't know. I, I like that, but I also wanted to read what Joss said about season five. For season five, the mission statement was family. When you think you've moved on and grown up and moved out of the house, living your life, family comes back. You realize you're always part... They're always part of your life... Some of that's good, some of that's bad. Also, a very strong message with me is make your own family. Sometimes it's made for you, or sometimes it's made for you by monks. The introduction of Dawn, (laughs) the death of Mom, the meeting of Tara's family, all that stuff was very deliberate. Yeah, what do you guys think about kind of the message that, like, you pick your own family and that family's family's important whether they're blood relative or not? I mean, they explored family so thoroughly in so many different ways. I mean, you know, up till now, it's kind of just been, like, Buffy and her mom and sort of her estranged dad a little bit. Yeah. And then when they introduced Dawn and they introduced Tara and her family not accepting her and they introduced Anya wanting to maybe like get married. There's like all kinds of versions of families uh, forming and families being tested and redefined. And that's why I think in this season, no matter what kind of family you have, there's like a pocket of this world that like you're like, wow, I've, I've been that person. I mean, even Dawn, her, I mean, that's sort of a metaphor for finding out you're adopted or something, yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally, yeah. Well, and it's interesting the way sort of Joss talks about it, just like even sometimes family is what you make of it. And it's funny that like so many like queer audiences were so drawn to Buffy anyway. So <laughs> queer audiences are sort of watching it and being like, yeah, we know. Like, <laughs> we got it. We're there. But um, no, I think Trixie's exactly right. Whereas just like we... 
up until season five, the Scoobies were like the Scoobies, but they almost functioned more like a club, which made sense because they were in high school and whatever. And like they sort of, you know, were drawn through this shared kind of hobby almost, which was killing demons. <laughs> um, and then season four is the, you know, the season where they almost all break up and it's very traumatic. And then five, they come back together and it is like, oh no, now the Scoobies aren't a club. They're a family and they are partially because parents are either sort of like you know shutting them out as with like xander and we assume with willow and with tara certainly which is what we see in the episode family yeah and then joyce dies and dawn's brought in and buffy has to be the legal guardian and so these things sort of they're brought together uh sort of literally to the point where like they even have like an rv trip to the desert like it's very very <laughs> very explicitly family by the end of the season oh my um, god i never thought about that rv trip <laughs> it's so harrowing too do you remember of course the rv trip you took with your family where the knights on top of horses all came out <laughs> oh, mama. All been there. oh mama we lived in an rv it's called a trailer <laughs> 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 By the way, I've just rewatched that episode and I totally blipped on the fact that Buffy fully kills 10 humans in that episode explicitly. Yeah, like, yeah she kills humans. <laughs> 10, 10 in one episode. I couldn't believe it. And she like, she has that great line where Willow's like, oh my God, don't hit the horses. She's like, aim for the horses. Aim for the horses. I love yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> we we um, talked about that. We talked about the like, she's not only killing people, she's killing people who are kind of more actively trying to save the world than Buffy. Yeah. Is, like, is Buffy even good? Yeah. Is Buffy's at this point, Buffy's sort of just self-interested, which is her, like that is her climactic fight with Giles, right? Is like he, he basically becomes like a version of the Knights of Byzantium where he's like, well, we have to kill her if we're going to save the world. That is ultimately, right. and she just decides she chooses her love of Dawn over and against all of that. Um, just like on this idea of family and like that quote from Joss, what strikes me about this season rewatching it this time is how much it's not about chosen family, how much it really is about the family you're stuck with. Um, Dawn is very much an, uh, an annoyance in this. The other family members here are, uh, which I never really clocked before, how much the, the season emphasizes Ben and Glory as being a sibling relationship. Yeah. That is like in the same way that Dawn is made out of Buffy, uh, ben is weirdly made out of glory and vice versa. Like, it's not really clear. It's never really uh, cleared up how much Glory's personality is this weird, or even her body is a weird manifestation of being trapped in Ben, or whether yeah. he's a version of her. Like, that's never clarified. But his well, one of his last lines is, I guess, we're stuck with each other, baby, right? And that's a kind of, like, the families in this are stuck with each other. The horrible thing and the familiar thing about that Tara episode is that you're kind of stuck with a family. And if they yeah. suck they suck right my favorite part of that line that you just mentioned the thing where ben goes i guess you're, you're stuck with me baby is he he delivers it kind of like claire kramer mm -hmm. like that's his one moment in the season where like his delivery becomes very much like hers yeah. and for a half a second i'm like oh this is kind of interesting he's gonna be like you know he'll it'll be ben but it'll be this sort of like glory ben and i'm like i wonder how that'll and then right away giles comes and like suffocates <laughs> him and i'm like well just won't think about that part anymore <laughs> Yeah, and earlier in the season, it was like it was suggested that if she doesn't get her chance, like she was never supposed to emerge at all, right? Like that is sort of the right. error that the other hell gods made. He was she was supposed to live and die as a human, but she became too powerful and started emerging from this body, um, and that like never gets clarified, like how much 
like her his personality is bleeding into her at the end yeah. like how much his ethical choices are even his in those last few episodes is not really clear like Fuck, as he that's starts the prequel season i want like glory origins yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god oh my god glory <laughs> you yes, you exactly. did it. You nailed it in one. We're pitching it. We're pitching like, it. it sounds like an upscale like skincare line at Nordstrom's. <laughs> it would actually be like think about how queer it would be. It's about a teenage boy who occasionally turns into a girl and like is like this fabulous girl. Like it would be amazing. He kept he talks about how he keeps coming to in dresses. Like <laughs> it Same. Might, cut this part out. We're, we're legitimately pitching this. Like, <laughs> that is called me my drinking coming to in dresses. <laughs> With all these weird leprous hobbits around, like it's yes. <laughs> There's more of them every time she wakes up. She's like, wow. Also, Glory, calm down. Listen, I would love to be trapped in Ben. Wouldn't we all? Would love to. Uh, never mind. I was oh. gonna say I would love to have Ben trapped in me, but perhaps I revealed too much. <laughs> yeah. I don't. You know, I don't need. There's a lot of theater. It's a lot of drama. You know, as a gay man, I'm just like, yeah, I'll hang out. I'll watch him change a few times a day. Great. You know. I watched Ben change a catheter. <laughs> I'm cool with that. I like that that's a specific it. thing that you're like, I'll watch him do that. Like, Well, you know, he's a nurse. He's got to be doing a lot of, you know, true. a lot of that. True. Absolutely a community for people watching people taking catheters out, I guarantee you. So. Yeah, I, I'm kind of into the draw. Like they keep joking about how unsexy his hospital stuff is, but I'm kind of into it. I don't oh, know what that means. Are you kidding me? It's extremely hot. Plus the VPL. In cotton pajamas. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so uh, I wanted to discuss what we thought about the character arcs this season. So I feel like everyone has very deliberate arcs. I mean, yeah. the, the only character who will be the first one we discuss because Riley doesn't really. I don't know that his arc was deliberate, other than they were like, "We need to get rid of Mark Blucas." I guess. I guess I disagree because. This is like the first time Riley gets interesting because Riley was like just like so goody two shoes. And now he's like insecure that he's not as powerful as he used to be insecure that he's not as powerful as Buffy. He's insecure that he's like this goody goody. And that's historically not what she's into. I don't know. I guess that made him more interesting because he was kind of like conflicted. Yeah. If they I had like kept the him around, I think I think that would have been interesting. I think the fact that they had him within the span of like two episodes be like, I'm going to go let vampires, you know, bite from me and then and then I'm going to get all pissy at Buffy and then I'm going to like fuck off in my helicopter. <laughs> and I think and then everybody very quickly like there were a couple like sort of like longing Xander being like, "Oh, remember Riley." But mostly like everybody forgot about him and like then Spike sort of got slotted into that, you know, love interest spot and everybody stopped talking about him. But yeah, I think he was definitely more interesting momentarily yes. if the show hadn't like you know dropped him like a hot potato yeah i like that he i like that he notices he has no arc you know <laughs> like that is sort yeah. of his arc is to realize, oh, like, so oh cool. i don't fit anymore and he's like he is way more interesting as this sort of slightly tarnished like captain america kind of thing like i find his i find his stuff in um that Buffy versus Dracula episode, like you can hear a bit of the way Joss Whedon writes Captain America that like no more um, chick pit for you. Like there's like yeah. the the enjoyable like 50s style that he talks in. Yeah. Um, and it would have been cool to see. Yeah, it would have been kind of neat. I like where he ends up in season six. Yeah. Like sort of he, he does the mostly healthy thing of being like, oh, yeah, she's not into me. And he confronts her with that and leaves. And I think there is something I find what, what I find amazing about season five is the way it has to so carefully choreograph him leaving. So he's not like 
a terrible jerk because Buffy's mom is sick pretty much from the beginning. So it has yeah. to give her this moment to be healthy so that he can exit without being yeah. a total douche. And then, then of course, she doesn't exactly rally. But um, <laughs> I don't hate him. I, I mean, he doesn't fit for her and he figures it out to his credit, right? Yeah, I always wonder, and I never get like we never get like an answer. I always wonder if they were like he's not working, or the actor was like I'm not working, or like what happened because it doesn't, it didn't seem. Maybe they just needed to get him out of the way because I don't think he would have fit in with the end of the like it wouldn't have fit if he was there all season, right? Like no, I don't. Know. I think he has to get out of the way so that he like I mean this is not an original idea. Whedon has been explicit. Like Buffy's love interest has to be Dawn in this season. Yeah. So um, everyone else has to get out of the way. There can't be a, a second column. Like, I don't know how Riley would have reacted in that final episode. Like, right. He probably would have tried to kill her. Right. So yes. it would have been a tension that wouldn't have, he would have become vastly unlikable. So he's got to get out. Of yeah. 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 Also in true Buffy world, as soon as things get good, they got to get the fuck out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Preferably um... in a helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed ill-fated to begin with. I mean, didn't, I mean, you know that they introduced him as sort of this anti to all of Buffy's boyfriends. Right. 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 Don't we yeah. all do that in real life where we all think like, I don't want that. I want this new type of thing because the last thing didn't work out. And we all look for the same thing over and over again. Uh -huh. and so when she looks for something different, obviously it's not working, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also she complains about him leaving and it's like, I wish all my exes when I was done <laughs> went far away. Oh my God. <laughs> totally. <laughs> That's amazing. I never thought about that. Me neither. She lets him go. Yeah. Sorry. She Mark yeah. Lucas. I know I'm from Wisconsin. I could be in an abusive relationship with Mark Lucas, and I would <laughs> oh pull that God. fucking helicopter out of the sky. <laughs> <laughs> I do not think he is that hot. I think he's, like, fine. Like, I wouldn't say no. But oh, I, mean, I think he's the hottest boyfriend she ever has. What? Of course. Of course. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think like that's very... the most ripped, the most handsome. He's the most, like, ideal Midwestern, like hunk a boy i don't know it's yeah I, I think i agree with that i agree in that except like except for the abusive thing because like actually why i'm attracted to him is because i am perennially like team jacob team the nice one you know uh -huh. like yeah i wish pocahontas would stay with cocoam you know like, <laughs> like, like, yeah. i just want someone who builds steady houses like yeah <laughs> yeah see and like true to my brand spiked is always my buffy boyfriend of choice because it's like, oh, he's angsty. Oh, he's hot. Oh, he's kind of mean. But he actually has a lot of feelings, like, deep down inside. Oh, he wears a leather coat. Like, ugh. I roll my eyes at myself. Don't worry. <laughs> 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 um, so then we get to, then I would like to discuss Giles. Giles buys the magic shop, which feels like a really, like, organic progression for the character. That he would, like, this shop is one of the few sets that's like, I mean, it was never the same set when they showed it. But it was always there in Sunnydale. Like, they would always be running there for something. Um, yeah. I think it makes sense that he buys it. I think his biggest moment this season, like, is buying the magic shop. And then he's kind of sidelined. Um, and then, you know, the Watcher Council reinstates him. But that's not really that big of a plot for Giles. Um, especially mm. considering he leaves next season. But I think his biggest moment is killing Ben, right? Yeah. Like, their, oh, their, fight, totally. their fight in the gift where he... That gives me the chills every time when she's like, we're not talking about it. And he's like, we bloody well are. And he like yells yeah. at her. And then he kills Ben. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. I think, I think that's like his big moment in the season, which kind of makes sense because he didn't get a lot of big moments. And that's such a big deal. Like to yeah. us, it makes sense. But in their world, 
they make a production of saying that they can't kill Ben, right? And then Giles does the thing. Yeah, well, in the beginning, there's this start-off, too, of him saying that he's kind of... She doesn't need him anymore, and he's sort of, like, laid off in a way. Yeah. And then the season Mm -hmm. starts with her being like, I need you again. I have, like, all these unanswered questions. I think that's so relatable. I mean, if you've ever, like, lost a, a family member, you grow up, and you're like, oh, my God, I wish I could have asked my mom or something about this you know yeah 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 that's people but people like giles become more important because you get smart enough and mature enough to have new important questions you couldn't have thought of before Mm -hmm. the way he looks at her when she says like i want you to be on watcher again he's like he's sort of like oh okay (laughs) (laughs) he has a lot of moments of like even in the silly i mean it's jane espenson so it's silly but not it's also mean where he's like giving her to the spirit guide he's like doing that little dance with the gourd like he is sort of he's (laughs) yeah he spends the season sort of learning to let her stand on her own which ends up being obviously quite explicit in season six um but he also has that really hot moment where he's talking to anya and then he starts beating up the little yes on the other side that was the little precursor (laughs) to him killing Ben, right? Because like yeah. he's like Anya, and Flo, go find a thing, and then they turn around, and he like cracks some sort of bone <laughs> yeah. on this. Little thing. You don't see it, but you hear it, and then he's suddenly very like you know pliable, and yeah, he was very badass in that scene. Yeah, yeah. Also, he makes the baller move in checkpoint to get his salary retroactive to when he got fired. Which oh my god, like, that is so iconic. What's <laughs> that cash, Giles? <laughs> I appreciate yeah, I appreciate him like, you know, being a negotiator Sassing there. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh you used to pay me. That's his great comeback where they're like used to have more respect for us, Giles. Yeah. It does like he we do see how much he's like grown into his own character. It's like you can see in this season there was a moment, I don't know if you guys remember, but there was a moment where they talked about doing like a BBC spin off about Giles. Yeah. Called yeah. Watcher, and you yeah. yeah, oh yeah, that's right, Ripper. And you can see how that would have worked in this moment, right? Like, oh, you think he's Sherlock Holmes, but he's actually incredibly dangerous. <laughs> and like, yeah. there's like, I love that scene in Forever. There's no dialogue. It just cuts to Giles sitting alone in his apartment listening to that song yeah. that he enjoys, I guess, had sex to way yes. back in season three. Yeah. Um, just like, he's got so many layers and he's like, we never really access them. We never really find out about his life. And like, again, season five, like the moment you realize your parents are people, you know? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, and there's a lot that. of like back to basics training in five where and I and I always think about that is whenever there were like, you know, fan fan complaints about the, with the way things were going in four or whatever. And there was a lot of just like we never see Buffy just like slaying or being a slayer or whatever. And that's such always such a common complaint. And it was one of those things where like you get it. But like how many times can you just show her training some more? Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So like, mm-hmm. but the way they did it in season five that I thought was so interesting was just like, it wasn't just about her like getting stronger or whatever. Like uh, her training this season was very much like, hey, let's like get in touch with this like deep seated dark Slayer shit and learn about like the Slayer having a death wish and like all this sort of stuff, you know, spirit quest with the first Slayer, all, all that. And it gets, mm-hmm. it then plays into a lot of the stuff, especially in like seven and season seven, when she's going through all that, like, you know, this is what a slave, this is what it means to be a slayer, yada, yada, yada. I love the training scenes. Oh my God. When she's doing the one handed head, a handstand and then <laughs> falls over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or like back in season three, when she's losing her power mm-hmm. and she oh, um, yeah. is throwing knives and they're not landing. Like sometimes <laughs> those training scenes sort of set the tone. Like if you see Buffy alone punching, you know, it's because like something is, yeah, she feels underprepared, you know. Right. 
yeah. the season has her uh, smacking Puffy Xander too. Like yeah. The, yes. the, <laughs> that she's punching Xander in the Puffy suit. It also, oh. I just like rewatching the gift, the opening scene of the gift where she just fights one vampire again. And it's like this weird reinstantiation of like the mission statement of the show a, a little blonde girl is in an alley and she's the most dangerous right. person in that alley but you're just a girl yeah yeah <laughs> and then she walks back in and she says vampire and xander just says oh like it it's so back to basics but also tracking how far we've come that like a vampire is barely even yeah it's a scene you can remove right like it's a scene that does nothing at all for the plot but it's yeah. there to remind us how far we've come since season one yeah yeah and speaking of how far we've come uh, I'd like to discuss Anya now, who I think this season Anya becomes her fully formed self. I have that exact note written down. That's so <laughs> yes. funny. Yeah. Anya becomes the Anya we know in yes. this season. Absolutely. I think that yeah. they 100% know finally what they're doing with Anya. They get a like complete grasp on her. She, And I think in four, she's a much needed like addition to the cast, but they don't, she's underused, right? Lots of times she's just there and she'll say, oh yeah, or like make a funny comment, but doesn't add much to the plot. Uh, and this, you know, we get her love of capitalism. We her get ex -boyfriend. her- ex-boyfriend. Yeah, we meet an <laughs> yeah. ex-boyfriend ex of hers. I uh, love that episode so, so much. Her monologue in the body. I mean, yes. yes. To be like an adult. I mean, she's basically a child. One, like trying to understand death, you know? And like, you navigate that, right? Even as an adult, you still navigate like, this fucking sucks, I wish this wouldn't happen, and you have these thoughts, but like, you kind of, uh, you don't need to ask those questions, even though you might feel them. But she's yeah. the one to like, Well, because there's no answer, right? you know? Yeah, we, we know there's no answer, but Ani's asking them because she like, genuinely doesn't understand. Um, she also gets that great moment in the gift where she says something. She's they're all sort of like trying to work out tactics, and she says something initially silly. I think it's the thing about like turning Glory into a hoppy toad or something yeah, like that. Right. And then and Giles and hammer. Spike, Giles and Spike both like knock her down and are just like, "If you have nothing else to contribute, yeah. just stay quiet." And then she's like, "Boom, Olaf's troll hammer. Boom, Dagon sphere. Yeah. <laughs> like here, are, like two fucking like useful pieces of information. So here you go." <laughs> and that was such like a moment for her because she would have those little non sequitur moments throughout the season, and they were mostly just sort of like comic relief. And then at this point, it's just like, "No, she's learning shit. She knows stuff mm -hmm. now. She's a yes. vital part of the group." I love when we're reminded that she's very old and knows a lot of shit. Yeah. yeah. For her, it's like common. Like, oh my God. When she's screaming, hey. Yeah. Because you realize, oh my God, nobody here knows anything about. Nobody knows more about this than her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like. Are you stupid or something? <laughs> so good. So good. I forget. Is that when. That's when they sell. They accidentally sold Glory the things to like make that snake yeah. demon rise, right? Yeah. It's like a bloodstone. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. Um, and she knows. Yeah. The Sobakites. Yeah. Um, uh, but I also uh, the flip side of that is that I like that she seems I don't know if it's an intentional thing or not in season five, but she seems to be watching a lot of cartoons and like she <laughs> <laughs> she she keeps like contextualizing things through like I love that the way she seems to have learned about reality our our world is through these tropes like yeah um, on one level that means she thinks one way to get rid of uh, Gloria is to drop an anvil on her, but on the other <laughs> right. level. Like in the in the gift, when Xander proposes, she slaps him because she recognizes that he doesn't intend to survive. Yeah. Right, like, you do this because you think we're gonna die. <laughs> yeah, so she's like, she's very good at like mapping. Like she doesn't always contextualize things correctly, but she seems to have learned them in this very lopsided, fascinating way. Like she doesn't think like any other character. I think that's what 
we pick up on in season five is that like the way she thinks has finally been figured out by the writer's room. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. And, and they realize that she can, like you guys said, they realize that she can be an integral part by like adding these things that because she's so old, she just knows about. Um, and they do that a lot with her and spike, right? Where they sometimes notice things that the group is kind of like, just like either willfully blind to, or just used to like, they notice like when spike, is the one who says, like, oh, well, of course, Dawn's going to break out and break into the magic shop and look up this shit, whether I'm there or not, you know? And, like, when he's like, she's a hormone bomb, if it wasn't this setting her off, something would have... I think they do a good job of knowing where to use the two of them, um, which also leads me to Spike. So I, I think Joe and I are kind of aligned on this. I can't remember, Tritzy. I know we discussed this, but I don't love... I love Spike. I don't love his back and forth in this season. I feel like Crush should have been earlier on because in Fool for Love, Fool for Love seems to wrap up the like, he wants to kill Buffy, he's a villain. But then we go back to that because in Fool for Love, I think it's such a good episode. It ends with him being like, I'm going to kill the Slayer once and for all. And then she just found out her mom has cancer. She's crying on the back porch and he sits down with her and I cry. Um, but I think that should have been the end of his back and forth. Um, but then we still get it. And like in crush, we had Ira Madison on for crush. And he said that he felt the writing of spike, especially with this episode, considering what's before and what's after it reeks of the writers really loved James Marsder and the network really loved spike and they needed a reason to keep him around. So I want to know what all of you thought about that. I love Ira and he is obviously like so intuitive because he works in that world. Yeah. I mean, but if the network loved him and if people loved him, don't you think that also means the writers loved him? Like it yeah. had to have been mutual. Yeah. Yeah. He um, was supposed to be what? A three episode <clears throat> arc in season two. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's how you turn the party bitch. You show up and you're like, <laughs> I'm going to be in every, you know, that's amazing. <laughs> Welcome to my show. I am not leaving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, do... I remember at the time I was watching why I had that, like I've mentioned before, this like very intense message board crew that I was with talk, writing, talking and writing about Buffy at the time um, <laughs> as crazy, crazy 2002 times. Um, but I remember very specifically that the fandom had sort of honed in on Marty Noxon especially and the way that she wrote Spike. Cause I think she had given some interviews too about her writing of Spike as the like classic bad boyfriend character. And there was definitely a sense that like Spike was Marty Noxon's sort of like pet character too. And I think when she took over in six and things became so melodramatic and so much like, you know, sex and then you know everything that happens when he like tries to rape her in the bathroom and all of that like that's getting ahead of ourselves but like certainly all of the seeds for that are planted in this season and i don't know like sad stalking spike is never gonna be my favorite flavor of that Um, character especially because the way that things ended up going with that character where it turned into this sort of star-crossed romance i'm like i don't know i'm not about that i think that rewatching. i think there's elements to this that have not aged well i think culturally we've gotten better at like as much as it's like oh well the rape thing hadn't happened yet i mean the buffy bot is very creepy right like it's a very funny episode but it is that is a deeply alarming thing to just like could you imagine yeah (laughs) um but 
Is that I love the episode? <laughs> I think it's one of my the favorite funniest. parts of the season. Oh. It's so funny. I mean, I would watch a spinoff series about the Buffy. Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> I would, you know, she could be, become autonomous. She could sort of become like an Anya, where she's, uh, you know, ignorant to the world and learning. You oh know, my god! Right. And Anya's like her like best friend. <laughs> I would watch that. And like, and they both select their words a shade too precisely, as Anya puts it. <laughs> yes. Oh my god! It's so funny when Buffy, the Buffy bot, and Anya. Anya's like, oh my god, finally my type of person. Yes. <laughs> not a person. How is your money? Fine, thank you. <laughs> like, she's been waiting, like, like finally yeah. with some sense. Yeah. <laughs> finally, um, one of these assholes, like... <laughs> yeah, ask me about my money. Thank you. <laughs> but as far as... The, is that the episode where... Is, is the Buffy Bot episode the one where Willow and Tara and Buffy are talking about Hunchback of Notre Dame? Where they're talking about Quasimodo. Yes, like, and it's very clearly talking about Spike. Yes. Yeah, and I think that that like that tells you how. I mean, that gives you a very quick way to read how we're supposed to read Spike. He's like he's Quasimodo. He's the Phantom of the Opera. Like he's right. speaking to that Marty Noxon. What Marty Noxon puts her finger on is the Anne Rice-ness of Spike, yes. right? Like yeah. the bad boy who like ooh he wants to destroy you. That will like that culminated in Twilight, and that we've now yeah. sort of. Yeah. against culturally but that's what that's what spike accesses right like ooh, he might he might hurt you isn't that sexy is sort of like a problem that we're dealing with in the text and like right. it's not something i personally respond to so i don't have a lot of interest in spike as a love interest like i just want some i love ben like i wish <laughs> i wish ben as a love interest had been more fully realized actually his he has that line where he says these are these are orthopedic pants i would have died like <laughs> <laughs> Anthony becomes a puddle on the spot or the yeah that's yeah, all I need like a, some like gentle wordplay and I'm so... <laughs> that Jonathan Taylor Thomas hair oh I know oh my god though but have you seen him on uh, how to get away with murder no oh, oh my god it's all like muscly and mean and he has like a mean beard, beard? situation going on now yeah got hotter unbelievable did he very murderous he yeah, oh he gets away with so much murder on oh that my show god. <laughs> Oh, good. Trixie, I feel like you were doing, you were like asking as a joke, but then it was like, yes, he does get away with it. Oh, legitimately so. Yes. <laughs> then Xander. I mean, Xander's arc, I feel like, is realized very early on in The Replacement, where we get two of him. We learn they're both Xander. Um, and then, you know, Spike has that throwaway line where he calls him a glorified bricklayer in the, in the gift. And then he does get to, quote unquote, pick up a spare when he. Well, I mean, doesn't the quite... season's most tortured metaphor, <laughs> the glorified bricklayer picking up a spare. Like, man, they really had to legitimately move some heavy machinery to get to that metaphor. <laughs> That's quite something. How how dare you move that much machinery to get to that pun, Joe? Yes. <laughs> um, but it's not quite an anvil, but like Anya, again, wasn't wrong. Like... Yeah. Oh, right. No. Anya also says, it's really weird, if we watch that scene back again, she says, hit Glory with a hammer like a little hoppy toad, and then she gets the idea later for the hammer. Like, she thinks about hammers twice in yeah. a strange way. It's yeah. a thought process. She's really on top of it. And I, also, <laughs> Oh my god, I love, um, he's also, also a swell bowler. The gods themselves do tremble. Yeah. yeah. Stupid. <laughs> Xander's I mean, hair I throughout love... the season is a problem, though we can agree on that, right? Xander's what? what? Hair throughout the season? Oh, the floppy, speaking oh, of yeah. floppy 90s yeah. hair. Floppy 90s I don't know. Nicholas Brendan is sort of like Michael Cera to me. We're like, depending on the angle, he's either the hottest thing I've ever seen or like, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Trixie, like, I, saw, like, I saw you sing a song about this. <laughs> like Xander season two in the Speedo, I'm like, holy shit. Oh, of you course. I mean? 
I became like a man during that episode. Like, it's quite something. <laughs> We are I... all Cordelia when we see him for the first time. <laughs> yes. yes. Like, oh, it's like the moment where a girl takes out her ponytail and takes her glasses off. <laughs> yeah. um, I really like Xander. And I like Xander because I, I like that he's always the most normal and kind of like has no powers. You know, it's just kind of like there. His biggest triumph is moving out of his mom's fucking basement. <laughs> <laughs> Several years after high school. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, I think, I actually think this is one of Xander's best seasons, because I think he is, him and Anya, you know, in season six, we get him leaving her at the altar, which is the thing I never forgive him for, but I think they operate as a good couple, they seem to be, they have less ups and downs than Willow and Tara, really. like, Willow and Tara are always very cutesy, but even starting this season, they have their ups and downs, where, like, Tara's not so happy with the way Willow's using magic, and... Anya and Xander seems like they bicker, but it's just that's them. There's no, like, ill will or are they going to break up because they have this fight. And I think he's also really good supportive friend to Buffy um, a lot in this season. Oh, yeah, season. when he, he has that great weird... There's that very strange... I don't know if it's just me, but there's a very strange energy in that episode with the robot where he's, like, fixing the yes. window. Like, part of me is, like... Like, part of the mislead of that episode is that Ben seems to be being set up as a love interest. But as a kid, part of me was like, oh, is there, like, something happening here between him and Buffy? Like, yeah. um, but to me, the interesting thing about Xander is he's, like, profoundly uninteresting. <laughs> like, he's profoundly uninteresting now. Like, his story is kind of done. Like, right. there's not really... He is now just, like... If anything, his arc in season five is to be the thing that Anya and Willow fight about, really. Like... Yeah. He's, his story's done being told. Like he's got an eye to lose. That's about it. Like, <laughs> True. oh, but I in season seven, I am obsessed with the part when he talks to Dawn about how he's kind of a nobody and how there's like thing that special people don't have to deal with is they don't know what it's like to feel unspecial. Yeah, mm. I love that part. There, every season did not there yet, but <laughs> no, but every season did manage to like have that good Xander moment because end of season six too is like he saves the world through being like. A nice boy who loves his friend like <laughs> yeah when he um he's coaching buffy to you know run try to go s- he's the voice of reason you know yeah yeah riley and anthony it's funny that you should mention the scene specifically in i was made to love you there's a scene where they're dancing together and it's maybe the only moment in the show where i thought hey i could see this like i could see this I think- working I think something weird is going on in that episode. The, it's the Puffy Xander scene at the beginning. Yeah. It's the dancing on the uh, floor in the middle. And it ends. One of the horrible things I realized watching this again is that Buffy misses her mother's death because she's helping that April robot die. And then she goes to talk to Xander after. That's where she is when her mom is dying. Like, it's the same outfit and everything. Yeah. And it's like that, but that weird conversation, if there's some weird, I don't know if it's an acting choice or if it's something in the dialogue, but there's this weird flutter of like, oh, what's happening here? At least to me. I mean, but also I, I impressed sexually on Xander at a very young age. And the result was a lot of tragic outfits because I copied his look from like season one to <laughs> No. Oh yeah. T-shirt that, with like, like a. Uncle Joey shirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. I don't know. I, I follow him on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I mean. Do you think he listens to this? Can I be candid? <laughs> he has like, you know, he sort of needs like, you know, in BuzzFeed when they like, when they get a person who may or may not have a home, give them like a God. haircut and stuff. Yeah. Like he he's not a bad looking guy, even at his age. I think if he had the right haircut and the right outfit, he would present like 
kind of like a hot dad sort of. Yes, he's like painfully straight. I think that's probably like, like right. It's like baggy things and like yeah, I agree Some with you. Some people can't help that, Ian. Some people cannot. Help well, you could meet him. You could meet him. He does like those karaoke. You can go to one of his karaoke shows. Does it change anything that there's two of them because he really does have a real life twin? That is true. In theater or in acting, you have special talents on a resume, and one of his special talents was has a twin. One hundred percent with Anya, where she's like, "Oh, two of them. Don't put yeah. them together yet." <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah, I think he also looks his like hottest in this season because he like, you know, before that he's still a little like twinky, younger looking, and this he looks like more grown up. I mean, granted, I think he was, like, in mid-30s this season. He was already grown up. But I think he, like, hits, like, peak, like, oh, he looks like a fully formed adult and, like, a man and, like, he's a little thicker. I don't know. I, it works for me. I, I like right now. Because in the later seasons, he kind of gets... I don't like his hair longer, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> Are we just that gay that now we're talking about <laughs> two of him and his hair? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Trixie, yeah. aren't you so happy to be part of this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, these are the aspects of Buffy I would like to talk about. <laughs> Speaking of gay, what do we think about Tara? I think Tara, I think she has like a self-contained, that episode of Family, I think is her story, right? Yeah. And I think it's really lovely, and I think it's one of the high points of the season, especially early on. Uh, and then, you know, her story, and I, I don't know, I struggle with this, and I want to know what all of you think. I think her story pretty much is, okay, I can be part of the group. And then it's kind of just she's Willow's girlfriend, right? I don't think there's anything wrong with that because in a show with so many characters, I think her and Anya do fill the role of, like, main characters' girlfriends, but I think they do it really well, maybe because of the actors, maybe because of the writing, probably both. Um, But yeah, I think Tara's storyline is kind of that episode, and then she gets brain-sucked, and, you know, then we see Willow reverse it, and they're like, oh, I got so lost, and she's like, I'll always come back to you, and that's kind of them, right? They're like cute. Yeah. yeah. Love. I, I love I love everyone. I love my boyfriend. If my boyfriend got brain sucked and I had to feed him applesauce, I would balance. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I gotta go. Like I know we're like, in the TV world, but I'm like, this is a lot. Yeah. Just be like, Don, this is your fault kind of. Like, <laughs> oh, take care no. of this for a while. Um, I, I actually... love when Don's like, it's my fault. I would be like, Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, bitch. Kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I find that stuff so touching. I also, um, I think that she introduces, I mean, first of all, I think it's horrible, like, rewatching the season in rapid succession, as I just did because I didn't know I was going to be on this. Uh, like, the, the seed of her being really horrified by what Glory does to people's minds is planted very early in the season. Like, the very first time someone says what Glory does to people when she takes their sanity, it is Tara that reacts with, like, absolute horror at it. Um, and this season is also the moment, like, one of the things Tara does is give that amazing speech. I mean, Anya's speech is amazing in the body, but where she says, like, I think her speech where she talks about how death is always sudden, even when it's not sudden, I think is, like, so amazing. Um, but, yeah. like, layered in the back of this, whenever I think of Tara, I think of her missing mother. Because um, her family is horrible, but it sounds like her mother was amazing. And it sounds like her illness was protracted. It sounds like Tara was somehow responsible for caring for her. And I think it sounds like something was wrong with her uh, mentally, too, by the end. And I think that, like, it just comes up in these weird little flashes throughout. And I get so, like, that moment where Willow slaps her in the gift, or when she slaps Willow in the she gift. She slaps Willow, yeah. So horrifying and heartbreaking. And I think she, Amber Benson does an amazing job of playing yes. 
both ends of it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Tara's a really interesting character to me because she's so immediately you you love her immediately and you want to protect her. You're sort of like you're put into willow shoes, right? Where it's just like you're so drawn to her and then you want to then ultimately, because there are other characters that are a lot more powerful than her, you want to protect her. And I think that's what that turn in the season kind of plays into when she, you know, gets brain sucked and now she's like actually like childlike. Mm. Um, but I think other times the show kind of struggled with her because that's she's ultimately not a super great tv character in that she's sort of quiet and shy and not super articulate that argument they have before she goes to the the carnival where Mm -hmm. glory brain sucks her which is like really interesting about like and where i really now especially watching it now take tara's side so much more severely oh my god yeah like i i remember (laughs) being very much on willow's side in that argument at the beginning about like how she got so offended that tara was afraid that she might you know turn back to being like right. straight or yeah. guys or whatever. And now I'm watching it and I'm like, fuck, if I'm Tara and I'm with her, like I'd be, th- I'd be worried about that. And, mm-hmm. and Willow sort of like tried to deny her, her right to be worried about that. But also Tara had such struggle to get her thoughts sort of out Yeah, mm-hmm. in that scene. And there, I, it reminded me of, do you, did anybody else watch my so-called life? I did. Yeah. Yes. Where there was one scene where Brian Krakow sort of was very like stammery and stuttery like that too. And he's talking to Ricky and he's trying to say something to Ricky. And at some point Ricky's just like, Brian, like pick a verb and go with it. Like, <laughs> just, like just say something. And, and sometimes that, you know, Tara reminded me of that too. But every time she had a scene with Buffy, I'm like at the edge of my seat. I really, really loved the like two or three maybe scenes in across the season where she's either like sharing something with Buffy about them both losing mothers or even like the part in forever where she just like walks up to her after the funeral and just like, we're just going to take Donna. Yeah. Just, yeah. I like the fact that like she had something to relate to Buffy to. And that comes up again in season six a little bit too. I do think Tara out of all the Scoobies is maybe the most fully formed adult. She definitely thinks of things in a more rational way. Her and Willow, the only trouble they have is because Willow's, like, abusing magic, right? There isn't, like... Tara's not being, like, dramatic or being, offend- or being like, mad about something stupid. It's like, you are doing this thing. I'm telling you, you need to stop. And Willow doesn't. Yeah. Tara's also just, like, pure empathy. Like, she's yeah. honestly, like, the best of us. <laughs> yeah. yeah and- she's, she's, like, too, too good for this world, almost. Yeah. yeah. So- she does have the great, in that same episode... Um, when Dawn is like, well, let's just resurrect her. And she has that amazing, like, she's useful for tracking. I mean, it it speaks to the fact that she is, in a lot of ways, just Willow's girlfriend. But she, like, Willow gives that speech where she's like, I don't even think we could do it. And Tara's just like, that is not the point, right? Like, she has an ethical system that is, even if she has a a sense of humor that is different from the rest of the gang, she has an ethical system that is different from the rest of the gang. It would have been interesting to see where she would have landed on the killing Dawn thing. I think. Yeah. Totally. yeah. I like that Tara has like an older relationship with magic and she probably has the most like fear of it. She's the most aware of its power. Yeah. yeah. She's also more afraid of, I don't think they, they discussed it yet, but like Willow's obviously a more like base level talented witch than her. And yes. Right. She figures that out pretty early. Yeah. And like Tara knows more, but Willow definitely can like use it better. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. They're a star is born. <laughs> Tara is Bradley Cooper and oh, no. Willow is, is I Lady still Gaga. haven't it seen it well spoiler I like it ends exactly like Willow and Tara's story <laughs> I like that like that part about like are you gonna leave me and go back to guys 
Yeah. I have, if anybody here has ever dated a bisexual, you like think you're hot the whole time. And in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, but I'm not a girl. One day, but they might want a girl, you know? Yeah. I think that it as much as it's not some like I don't I think, you know, biphobia is a thing. But I I agree with Joe about how like I aged into understanding that fight better. Yes. Like when I was a kid, I didn't get it. And now that I'm an adult, it's like, oh, shit. Like I've seen that happen to people. Um, and like it's obviously different for women where that um, women are allowed a certain more leniency because that's how patriarchy works. Like a, right, a yeah. woman can express herself more freely in her college years. But the reverse of that is that um, I have seen people burned by the performative sexuality, you know, that, that oh, yeah, disappears, same. evaporates suddenly right. when you turn 22, you know? Yeah. I mean, the next progression would be Willow, but I feel like we're going to save her. Uh, Dawn, I don't know that Dawn gets as much of a character arc here. We're just like thrown into Dawn. Dawn appears. Dawn is the whiny, screaming sister. And I feel like How her- dare you? <laughs> well, and I'm a big Dawn apologist. Does anyone who listens to the podcast know? I will do like backflips to be like, well, also, let me remind you that her mom died, her sister died, she found out she wasn't real, all in the same year. Um, but I feel like she progresses from whiny, screaming sister that gets kidnapped, that lets Harmony in the house, that is just annoying to then like a whiny screaming sister that like you still feel compassionate for and you feel like empathy toward like right like i'm like i feel bad for her because of all the like she's still whiny she's still screaming but like i would be too i don't know that's how i always view dawn and i i think we get there by the end of the season because i also think by the end of the season that they at the very least are like okay she's not 12 Let's stop sometimes writing her like she is. Yeah. She's not like my, I don't have like the strongest relationship with that character other than, I don't know. I'm, I'm yeah. the opposite of a Dawn apologist. I'm always just sort of like, she's not my favorite character. One you want Dawn to apologize to you. Yeah. <laughs> I saw Michelle Trachtenberg at the Grove and I was like, she knows. She knows. <laughs> I was like, I can't let her see me. Cause I've just like, you know, I remember watching it and she being like, just shut up. <laughs> okay, but Trixie, have you seen her on Gossip Girl? No, I haven't. Oh my god. Her character on Gossip Girl, Georgina Sparks, is like like queen bitch. Like she's the most amazing character. And when and the show knows it. Like when she's introduced, it's like suddenly sirens start going off on the soundtrack. She's like the big bad <laughs> of season one. And it is so like Michelle Trachtenberg clearly took very careful notes from Claire Kramer. Like she's playing like glory, like this destructive force that has come into the characters' lives. It's so good. I couldn't believe it when I saw it. Um, but I remember when Dawn was introduced in real time, and I remember the frustration week after week of, like, who is this character? Like, I was obviously not a smart reader of the show. <laughs> but, like, the frustration of, like, well, when are they going to explain it? What is her deal? Does she know what she is? Because the the Real Me episode plays that game at the end right. where she's like, will they find out? Like, Yeah. Which I wish they I, hadn't done that. You wish they hadn't? Right, because I think it falsely sets us up for... Dawn is a villain, and I don't think we needed that. I don't think we needed that red herring that's very quickly, right? They like, did the same thing with Tara in season four. That's true. That's right. That's they true. made they you suspect tested, her. They made you think she was up to something. They definitely tested the trust of their audiences in the beginning of this season because you couldn't have pulled that shit early on. Do you know right. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah and then honestly, I got Joyce to know her, and by the time I knew who she was, I wasn't interested. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. Michelle Trachtenberg is going to find me and fight me, but that's okay. I think her being uninteresting is itself kind of interesting. Like, she really is just a normal teenage girl. And, like, I find the episode where she realizes what she is very, um, like, that scene where they turn around and she's cut herself. Like, there's this equal balance of being, like, oh, my God, the horror of, like, teen over drama, but also, like, there's clearly like an adoption narrative happening. Like she's discovered her origins aren't what she expects them to be. There's also like real existential horror. Can you imagine like only knowing <laughs> discovering you've only existed for six months? Right. Everything about you is fictional. Like um, that scene where she burns her diaries is so great. Like I think she gets a lot of cool levels. Ian, you've been playing the game for the whole podcast of like how does she retroactively rewrite the history of the show is sort of amazing. Like right. the audience has the knowledge of the show that the characters weirdly don't. Yes. Imagine Don, Don's future college years. Like every time she like gets together with her college friends and just like gets high and starts talking about their like existential philosophy class, and she's just like, "Yeah, well, what if you weren't really a person and she's we're just like, well. like a ball of energy?" And she's just like, and "They're like, girl, I got, you need to slow down. You. You're like too high." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would bring it up all the time if I were a high, like, 19 year. I bring it up all the time now if I were a high. Like, oh, well, y'all didn't figure out, find out you weren't real when you were maybe 14, maybe 15, who knows. Um, it's the greatest thing for somebody who just wants so much attention. It's probably, like, in her Twitter bio in, like, current would, day dawn. She would be it's a like, great Twitter gay. <laughs> oh, my God, she would be so dramatic, yeah. <laughs> but, I, however... My problem with the the characters not interesting to me, but I do think, especially think of how young she was. I think she's a great actress in this series. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. When she comes on the stairs and she's saying, "Am I real? Am I anything?" You really like feel for her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, Trixie, you do feel for her. See. Okay, fine. <laughs> I do. I think I mentioned this in the body episode, but I do think her physicality fought against. Like, I think she was scripted to be younger. Yes. She's fourteen, right. and she's immediately taller than Sarah Michelle Gellar. Right. And I think that 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 kind of worked against the way the character read. Um, if she had, Oh, been it's like smaller. so borderline theatrical, how they like put her in like pigtails, pigtails. and like, drawn on cowgirl <laughs> freckles. <laughs> <laughs> she basically has like a lollipop and like a bonnet. It's amazing. It's like fully Pippi Longstocking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So now we're going to talk about Willow. What do we think of? I think Willow's arc is very, I don't think her arc is complete in this season, but I think that is fine. Right. Um, yeah. We're clearly building towards the season six arc of, hey, you're misusing magic. Um, but even if this had been the final season, which they did write it in case it was, um, mm-hmm. I do think it would have been okay to just be like, hey, well, we're not sure she's misusing magic. But then in the end of the season, she uses it to be like the one who can fight glory the most. Um, and I think that that would work as like a, gray area of look how far she's come but we're a little worried about how she's using it but also like she still helped them defeat glory with it um yeah and also we get at the very end when buffy's catatonic she picks up i mean joe that's the episode we discuss she we get very much willow the leader right like she gets in charge she tells everyone what to do she's like xander spike you're both doing this giles anya bring giles to the hospital um and then she reverses tara's brain suck I like powerful Willow, but yeah. it's very human and fun to watch Willow get confident and then get too confident and too powerful. I mean, yeah, there's. I feel like as people, we have two settings. We like we're we are season one Willow. We like have zero like <laughs> believe right. in ourselves, or we're like sabotaging our own relationships. I'm the best Willow, you know. And she's sort of in like 
this is the this is the happy middle that lasts for five seconds. Which <laughs> it's absolutely like what it is. Yeah. Powerful Willow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's accurate. Because by the time we see her in season six, she's attempting something that's like kind of off the rails and kind yeah. of unprecedented. <laughs> she's like vomiting snakes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> well, that's the funny and sort of like almost ironic thing is that the Willow by the end of season five is probably powerful enough and has enough of a leadership instinct with the group to like be able to if not take over for exactly what Buffy is like sort of stand up in her absence and yeah you know be there but she so can't handle Buffy being gone then she like breaks all these rules to bring her back and like that's what starts to tip her too far gone but like she by the end of season five is you know, in many ways, she, like she's powerful in ways that Buffy isn't and can't be. And that's like, again, like Trixie said, like it's super cool and it's super useful to the group by the end of this season. And the next season, I think also the writers were like, well, now what do we do with Willow? She's so powerful. We can't get to the point where like no bad guy is going to be a threat because Willow can just sort of like snap her fingers and the bad guy's head pops off. Right. So mm-hmm. we have to find a way to keep her from keep her powers from accelerating and i think that's what you got in a lot of season six um i think that i mean the the reference to x-men is explicit in season six that like this is a very familiar arc of uh, of female character right like the dark phoenix right, thing yeah, yeah. The andrew Scarlet says Witch it thing. yeah <laughs> yeah it's like a woman be oh this woman has lost her mind she's become uncontrollable her emotions have gotten the best of her um but i think that uh the flip side of that is I'm so I mean I I know I was just giving the narrative of like the Katy Perry I kissed a girl thing but like I love how queer this season's arc like if I were a lesbian I'd have a back tattoo of Willow with that lightning as she floats (laughs) oh bitches do I was gonna say yeah (laughs) you would not be alone among lesbians with back tattoos of Willow yeah exactly and I I feel like it's apocryphal, but I feel like I have heard it said that one of the concepts of season five was going to be that um, Glory actually was supposed to have killed Tara and that Willow yeah. would kill her and then become the big bad that like uses Dawn like there's a glimpse of it in season 6 where she thinks I remember about... that being a rumor at the time there were rumors yeah. about Willow going bad for like two full seasons yes. and they ended up delaying it um, and like I think that I think that that's sort of one way to deal with what you're talking about Joe the sort of like overpoweredness of Willow Um and part of me is like, yes, this is a familiar trope that, like, how convenient that not only the female character, but, like, your lesbian character is like, ooh, she's gotten too pow- she's too big for her britches. But right. I just love it. Like, I love that scene where she just charges in and, like, starts electrocuting glory. Yeah. Like, it's it's so awesome. <laughs> yes. They just what did she say? Job. I owe you pain. Yeah. yeah. Bag of knives. They did such a good job building it slow. You know, yes. like, like, when they're in the dark and she's like, Tara's like, we could have just brought a flashlight, you know? It bubbles so slowly that she's just at first she's like using too much magic and then it gets so much worse, you know. And then like yeah. the teleportation where she's got the nosebleed, it's like oh, too much magic, too much magic. Well, it's sort of like telling someone like you, you're drinking too much. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, when do I say it? How do I say it? I work in drag, so I know how to say it. But <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's like if you're Tara, when do you say it and how do you say it? And obviously, no matter what you say, it's not going to be met with like agreeing, you know? Yeah, it's not going to be met with, okay, sure, you're right. Yeah, no one. I do wish. I do wish in season six it hadn't become so one to one of magic yes. equals drugs. Like, yes. I do like because I understand Willow because, like you were saying, Trixie, like 
I understand Willow because I was that shy kid, and I do know that when some kind of power comes to you later, it can be addictive. Um, attention can be addictive. Like feeling yourself as something worth a spotlight can be addictive. And I understand that more than like, oh, she's addicted to the rush of magic. Like that doesn't make sense to me. What makes sense to me is like she starts dealing with problems by using too much power to deal with them. Um, I would have liked that to have been the arc rather than like, like literally Alison Hannigan, like going, whoa, this is so good. Good stuff. Like that. Well, also it changed the way that magic functioned on the show. It turned magic from something that you like learned and developed and like brought from within you to a thing you could take like externally. It Uh just didn't like it fully didn't make sense in sort of the same way that they turned being a vampire from turning from one person to another, like angel did to sort of like being an extension of yourself, but just also a murderer. Like they or, did with Spike. Be, be exactly the same. Right. Yeah. right exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I like Man. that Harmony's like, Harmony, she's so stupid that it makes sense that like, she didn't have the like, mental capacity to be a real vampire. <laughs> Like, I don't know. No, that's really I, accurate. <laughs> I just watched the one today where she, uh, where Drusilla comes back and Harmony gets all pissed off and thinks that Spike wants her and Drew to get into a threesome. And she's just like, you know my rule. <laughs> boy, boy, girl, unless it's Charlize Theron. I'm like, you were really ahead of your time. Like, she really was. Solid rule. <laughs> yeah. A good solid rule. Yeah. That's uh, my rule. Uh, <laughs> so now we're at Glory. So when Claire Kramer uh, came on, uh, Trixie and I got to speak with her. She's great. She has a lot of love for Glory, which I think is really important. She considers Glory as not being evil, kind of just being like, she needs to go home. Dawn is the key. Yeah, Yeah. she just wants to go home. And that's it. Like to her, that was how she viewed Glory, which I also think is really important in portraying a villain that's enjoyable, right? She's not just like twisting a mustache being like, ha ha ha. I'm going to get this child. She's like, I'm annoyed. I'm going to wear these great dresses. I'm going to look good, but also I just want to go home. Um, And Claire told us that when she auditioned, she was channeling Jack Nicholson from The Shining. She didn't know (laughs) anything about the character. That was it. And then they really liked what she did. Um, And I think 100% it worked. I think Claire Kramer is like a delight to watch. And in the... The book, uh, Slayers of Vampires, David Fury has a quote about Claire Kramer, which I think is really good. And he says, Claire Kramer was great as Glory. She relished the part. She was beautiful, and she played evil quite well. It was fun to play with this character that all these people were suddenly coming under the thrall of, which I introduced. I really got to introduce Dawn in the second episode of the season, and that was when she went to the homeless man who was babbling about Glory. I thought it was all very interesting. Yeah, I think Claire Kramer just chews up all the scenery, and I don't know. What do you guys think? She's my second favorite big bad after the mayor. Like she's, and that's like, it would take a lot to make me like somebody more than I liked the mayor. But she's just, she's fantastic. And she like was from the first second you see her. It really is a great first impression. I, it was fun rewatching this season in such a condensed way because she seems to be about, I was sort of thinking about the way she's related to madness the way she sort of uh, gets linked. She has this great monologue where she says, uh, who isn't crazy? Yeah. Um, everyone's trying to screw their brains out, get high, whatever. 
Um, and Dawn's, who isn't crazy, and Dawn's answer is Buffy. Um, and I never really thought of her, because to me, she's very appealing as a character. I love Trixie. I was listening to you talking to her about how she's just sort of like, the joy of her is that she doesn't give a shit, right? Like, Buffy is so far beneath her um, that she just gets to have fun. But she really, the her arc is really that she's trapped in a world that is too horrible. And that's weirdly Buffy's arc in season five, too. Like, and Glory is sort of the nihilism that Buffy is fighting against. This like, well, what if you didn't give a shit? What if you just gave up and just like extracted whatever joy you could, but ultimately you just wanted to get out of here? Like she has the same weird death wish kind of that Buffy has. She just wants to leave. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I found that really neat. And I found the, the Ben thing really cool too, uh, in a way that I hadn't really engaged with. Like to me, it was always just like the drag queeniness of Glory has its own plus. She's also my favorite villain too, but... Um, there's something beyond it that I don't think is quite fully expressed in the season. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've talked about it at length <laughs> with her on that episode, but it was fun to see somebody just like so much more powerful than Buffy. I mean, anytime you have like this or the Uber vampire or like the part where Caleb knocks Buffy down with yeah. one hit, the stakes are just like, whoa. <laughs> and especially since she's a villain that's literally just inconvenienced. She's not scared. Yeah. <laughs> like nobody, like nobody's gonna stop her. You know what I mean? That's really accurate. Like she is. She's just like inconvenienced and annoyed, and like yeah, I, I think that really like sums her up. But also very of the world, right? Like the Illyria in Angel is like massively overpowered, but she's a completely alien intellect, right? Like she doesn't talk or think like any other character. Whereas I completely understand Glory. Like she's yeah. basically like Carrie Bradshaw with superpowers. And I love that. Like, <laughs> yeah. like she just wants to shop. She wants to drink a mimosa in the bathtub. Like it's a perfect life. <laughs> <laughs> she's hit that perfect. Like if you are this powerful, what would you do with it? And she's just like, well, I'm going to live fabulously. Like that look really good. Yeah. And as much as I can. <laughs> I also love that anytime emotions. anybody like damages her a little bit, it just amounts to like tearing shards through her dress that she just like rips off and she's got another one underneath. Like <laughs> so perfect. So now we've reached the main character, I suppose, Buffy. So the season ends with her dead. So in this mm -hmm. book, the one quote about killing Buffy is from Stephen DeKnight. And he said, the death of Buffy, that's tricky. When you hear Buffy sacrifices herself, of course the reaction is, that's bullshit, they're bringing her back. It's tough to pull off and make it feel real. The tombstones seem to have, a, have done a major job of doing that, didn't it? It was epic and weird and bizarre. And then it ended in a really interesting place where Buffy sacrifices herself, which led into season six. Um, so I think her arc, to me this season, is kind of learning more about because most Slayers didn't get to her age. We've been told that numerous times. Although Nikki Wood, I'm always wondering how old she's supposed to be. Yeah, she had a kid. She had a kid. But, you know, most Slayers don't live this long. We were told that a million times. Buffy's learning what it means to be a Slayer and also still be an adult, right? She's trying to function in the world. And she goes through, like, lots of terrible fucking things this season. From Riley leaving to having a sister implanted in her life to her mom getting brain cancer, recovering, and then dying. Um, this guy that's, like, obsessed with her, chains her in his basement, you know, and then she has this hell god that she can't seem to defeat. So I'm not the biggest fan of season six. I love all of the seasons. Season six is a little too relentlessly depressing for me. Yeah. Whereas I think this season could have gone that way, but they do a good job, I think, of balancing Buffy. You know, she's depressed, but she's not... We're not like, it's not her sitting around being miserable, right? Yeah. 
So I don't know. What do you guys think about her arc this season? I think, well, first of all, I'll do respect to Steve tonight, who, you know, is great and all, but I feel like it was less the tombstone that did it than the uh, persistent rumors that the WB was dropping yeah. the show <laughs> that maybe helped to convince people that she might've been really dead. I know that's what got to me. Her arc this season, I think is really interesting because it, there's a lot of all that stuff in Fool for Love about how like slayers have a death wish, which initially I remember sort of like I rolled my eyes at because I was yes. just like, oh, my God, does it have to be like, you know, I'll do my dance with death every you know week as I stake vampires or whatever. It's like, does it have to be that dark? But certainly like the season definitely had her in this space where it was just like she's. You know, she's willing to deep six her relationship with Riley. She's got to deal with her mom's death. And Dawn even tries to, if not, like, kill herself, then to, like, harm herself. And then at the end, Dawn is willing to jump. Like, that's the other thing that I think people forget a lot is, like, Dawn was fully, like, taking steps towards that energy field to jump in there as, like, a matter of fact, where she was just like, it's got to be done. So, and, like, even, like, Willow going after Glory the way she did, where she was just, like, she might kill me, but, like, I'm that pissed off. And so there was all this death floating around her, and then she gets, like, the first Slayer telling her death is her gift. So for as heavy as all of that theme stuff was, I think you're right. The season did a good job of keeping things a little bit light. The writing, I think, is just, like, on a specific, like, episode-to-episode basis, really light and good and fun. And then when it comes time to be so devastating, like Sarah Michelle Gellar in the body is like beyond. It's just that like, it's so devastating and it's so beyond and it's so memorable that, yeah, I don't know if this is my favorite Buffy season, but like she has a fantastic, she goes to some places for sure. I think that, yeah, I I think that one of the amazing things about Buffy is it has the most perfect series finale but it's at the end of season five. <laughs> yeah. Like there, to me, there is something this the the gift and the the season that contains the gift is perfect. Like in a lot of ways, like I would I would die to create television that good. Um, and I also think it's kind of perfect that just like Buffy, she has to persist past the perfect ending. Like there is something really meta to me that season six is not very like with it, it's not calibrated correctly is how yes. I'll say it. Like it doesn't balance very well. It sort of puts the viewer through the same laborious depression that Buffy is experiencing. Like when we're like, this doesn't feel right. That is also Buffy's experience. In season yeah. six. <laughs> right. and I, kind, I kind of like that. Um, that being said, like I, I like Joe watched this fully aware the show was canceled. Like we hadn't heard anything about it coming back. Um, so when that, that tombstone shows up at the end. I thought that was it. And as much as I was crying, it really is a perfect ending because what it does is it takes that death drive that seems to have been the problem that Dracula introduces that, um, you are, you are a thing of darkness. You are a thing of, you are a killer. Um, and found a way for Buffy's destructiveness to be redemptive, to be like, she chooses to turn that inward. And it is, as Emily said, sort of, suicidal but it's it's a destruction that saves um and my my brain is full of evil christian architecture and i respond to that (laughs) (laughs) well the monks made you out of some stuff too yeah yeah Yeah, i think you're right it almost at the end it almost feels like it's a little peaceful in that she you you with buffy in the moment you realize it's sort of her purpose yeah 
Like, I don't know. It's not that she's happy to do it, but it feels complete. It feels complete, especially since they so heavily explore that, like, every Slayer dies anyway. And it's sort of about when. Yeah. Um, and this way she gets to choose it and she gets to lay down her weapon herself. And, and she's still thing. saving the world doing it. Like, she's not just. Yeah. 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 It's I mean. Great, it's a great season. I just, I love this season. This is probably, like, I think we talked about it. This is probably my top two. Yeah. I love it so much. Yeah. And I. Your number one. Was it also three? I would say I think watching it, too, I didn't watch it in real time, so I knew that it wasn't the end in five. Uh-huh. So for me, obviously, it was a different story. I was like, okay, what happens next? <laughs> um, it did feel a little like they got canceled yesterday and had to come up with a tombstone the day of. <laughs> I don't, to, me it to me, it doesn't feel as complete. But then again, I had the advantage of knowing. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, when I was buying the box sets to watch, I saw six seven. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I bet you these are not two seasons of clip shows. Uh, so, yeah, one assumes. Wait, so what is your favorite season, though? Oh, don't laugh. My favorite season is probably seven. Oh, <laughs> wow. Same more. I think three, three is probably my number one, but I really love seven. I love how much you love Seven, honestly. What is it? Nobody ever says that they love Seven, and I don't know why I love it so much. There's so many good episodes. I like that the stakes are high, the uber vampires are scary. The first is the scariest, the worst evil there ever was. I like that all the potential vampires are getting, or slayers are getting killed. It just seems like it really feels like the last battle to me the whole time. It feels like they're, you know, wiping out the slayer line and all that. It's so dramatic. I love that you love it because... I feel like a lot of times on this podcast, I'm usually like, I'm defending Dawn and also defending season seven. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I have my reasons. I'm not a good person. You know what I mean? <laughs> like my favorite American horse, my favorite American horse story season is Freak Show, and no one ever says that. So I don't. <laughs> yeah, know. no one says that. That's true. Yeah, I've never even. And also in season. seven, I love like episodes like Potential. I, there's so many episodes I love. The one, um, the one where she kills the Uber vampire in front of them. Yeah, that is a good oh. episode. That was a good episode. All right, so now that we've discussed all the arcs, Anthony, what are what would you say are your favorite episodes this season? I mean, it's kind of cheap. I mean, the obvious ones, the gift and the body, are, are two answers. I I made the case earlier about um, earlier in the podcast about Triangle, the episode with the yeah. troll. I think that that's just like the funniest if i ever want to show someone who's never seen the show before even though it is misleading like they will get a wrong almost yeah. kind of charmed impression <laughs> of what the show is i love triangle i think it's hilarious um i really have a soft spot for the buffy versus dracula one too like yeah. i i like seeing the show be like we're gonna go there like there's something magisterial about like it's time for buffy to meet the ultimate vampire right like to confront and it doesn't just confront it as like a power level but it confronts it as like a mythological level like as a pop cultural level like i love seeing her have like a battle of wits with dracula i think that's really pleasurable um those would be off the top of my head my top four i think i love the robot stuff um i was made to love you and uh, is it intervention with the buffy bot yeah yeah like i think those two are really good that's a cute little diptych like some of it's just like the pleasure of the way that robots talk but like that moment where buffy laughs because the robot threw spike through the window it says everything to me about the stakes of that episode (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's fair she's trying to take it seriously and she won't and i like that a lot um trixie god that's i mean it's it's hard i really love this season so much 
Um, you can cheat if you want. I my answer is gonna be a little cheaty, so I don't want to cheat. Checkpoint, I think, is my fave. Okay. That uh-huh. whole scene where she, at the end when she's like, "No more tests." Oh my god, so good. Yeah, it's the I've... body is like life changing, obviously, and probably I really like Spiral. Trixie, I had you on the for that episode because the first time we talked about Buffy, that was the first episode you brought up. And I was like, okay, so you're going to be on for this episode. Like, yeah. Uh, and on that call, on that, on that podcast, I think we all agreed that Spiral was like probably one of our top yeah. ones. Yeah. Yeah. Joe? I mean, everybody sort of is, is giving my answers, but like, obviously, the body and the gift are like the, you know, pinnacle. The body and the gift sounds, the body and the gift sounds like Trinity Taylor's verse in category is, but you know what? It's <laughs> oh totally fine. I'm totally good with that. Um, and then Triangle and Checkpoint are the other two that I always mention from this season. Triangle, because it's so funny, because I'm such an Anya fan and I love a good Anya episode. And Checkpoint is the big, like, rousing sort of mid season yeah. high point that, like, God, that whole speech that she gives at the end, I'll, like, go back and just watch that to, like, you know, pet me up every once in a while. It's so great. And it's a good, like, team episode where, like, everybody gets to yes. have their little moment. There's the funny parts. All the Scoobies getting interviewed and being very cagey and squirrely is always <laughs> very funny to me. The part at the end where Anya goes, what was a demon? Which is, <laughs> even after so the jig stupid. is totally up. Um, such a good episode. So, yeah, I think those ones. And then, I mean... Spiral too, actually. Spiral is really fun. Again, RV road trip. I love it. And yeah. anything where I'm that look that it's either Buffy or Giles when they look out of the window or the rear view and they see the knights on the horses. I think it's Buffy because Buffy's just like, <laughs> sure, fine, this too, <laughs> like great, okay. I, I There's the similar moment in Checkpoint where the knights are attacking. She has no reason to know that the knights exist. She's like, can we just like not do this? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean. Yeah, same, like, Buffy vs. Dracula. And Anthony, I think you and I, right, when we did that podcast, were we the only ones that, like, loved that episode? Um, Kirsten was made... I don't remember how much Kirsten was enthused by it. Because um, I, I remember reading from the book that I've been reading from most of the, a lot of the season, and they the writers felt they didn't do a good job with that episode, but I really love that episode. I think that's... I do not like that episode. Really? Oh. <laughs> Why? That, I don't... That is... I did, that Dracula is, like, so forgettable to me. Huh. I, that's why I like it. It lifts right out. Like really, all that it we really get, does. It really all that we get is the idea: the Slayer is a killer. Like it introduces some themes, but it never comes up again, right? I think like, it I, gets your hopes so high, though, for like Buffy versus Dracula. Oh my god! And then it's like, to me, I I think I'm with uh, I'm with Trixie. It's it's underwhelming for oh, sure. Oh, that's why I like it. I like that. Yeah. I mean, me too. It speaks to. It speaks to the exact thing that's great about Checkpoint, right? Like this great like patriarchal figure shows up and Buffy's like, actually, you're kind of a joke. Like, <laughs> yeah. actually, yeah. actually, you want to exert a power over me that I don't consent to. Right. Like the speech that she gives at the end of Checkpoint is she learns some of it from that moment where she's like, oh, this is gross when Dracula. Yeah. Yeah. Blood, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I love that. Oh, and I guess. Sorry, I just realized the episode I didn't mention that I really should have is family that, that for the was, same reason. I like that you um, just said that because that was my next episode. Family and then <laughs> Fool for Love, Triangle Checkpoint, and then Tough Love Through the Gift, I think are the best block of Buffy episodes. Um, I agree with that. I think everything, I love that it's one right after the other. I love that it's each of those, right? Each of those episodes has their own plot, but it's still completely all in the arc of 
shit's intense. Glory knows who the key is, right? Like, right. yeah, they're all I, in the same outfits the whole time, yes. too. Uh, oh, yeah, the, that the was thing... they're in the same outfit. That poor Willow in that turtleneck. <laughs> so, Tough Love and Spiral both aired during finals when I'm going through like finals my junior year. And I remember at the end of Tough Love being like that cliffhanger where Glory like tears the side yeah. of the the dorm room building off. And then it's like, and I remember being like, how am I supposed to fucking study for finals? I gotta wait for this shit to continue. Oh my God. <laughs> I It's funny. I remember like I didn't, I like taped all the episodes. I think I had just started like towards the end VHS taping them, like learn to set the VCR so I wasn't watching The Gift because I forget why, but we were going up to visit family that night. And I was like, okay, that's because like at that point I was spoiled, right? So I was like, ooh, I can just tape it on my VCR. It doesn't matter if I miss it. But we got to my cousin's house and she was watching it. So I saw mm-hmm. that Buffy died. Like I, wa- I walked into her house as my cousin sobbing because she's watching Buffy jump into the portal. Oh my God. And I remember her just being like, Buffy just died. And she's like crying on her couch. <laughs> That, it's funny that like that was spoiled for me before I got to watch the episode, but I watched all the ones leading up to it. And I just always think of Spiral as such a big... I don't know. There's so much action and... Yeah. I don't know. I love all the action going on. And then that block is really good. I do wish in Season 7 they had taken from that. Like, I feel like maybe... Because I do like Season 7 too, but I think that Season 7 was almost like trying to redo this, but didn't qu- for me it didn't quite land, but I still like it. I don't know. All right, so if you each had to pick two uh, two outfits that are the most standout from this season, Trixie, what would you pick? Oh my god! Um, <laughs> I mean, I like I like Buffy. I like when Sarah Geller is dressed like Buffy Bot. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> and she's in that like ridiculous skirt. Yep, that like <laughs> that's what I was gonna say too. Fantasy. Yep. Um, God, and I guess my other outfit. Um, the end of the season, Buffy in the leather jacket is kind of quintessential Buffy. I leather love it, jacket yeah. fighting. So good. Um, oh, it's the Buffy bot who's in the leather jacket. Well, no, because Buffy's right. wearing that in Spiral and Way to the World, and then they put the Buffy bot in it. Um, Which, why right. would they do that? Like, that is so obviously just to mislead the audience. Like, there's no reason for Buffy to put the clothes she's currently wearing at right. the Magic Box onto the, the robot and change her own outfit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Glory did not see... Glory doesn't... Glory's not going to notice. Glory, yeah. Um, Although Glory's line where she's like, did everyone know the Slayer is a robot is like one. So good. Yeah. <laughs> um, Joe. I think Buffy's outfit after that, Buffy's like jumping into the portal, casual, active, casual kind of ensemble look. Casual separates. Right. Exactly. <laughs> thank you. That's exactly what I was looking for. Thank you very much. That one. Absolutely. Um, everybody else said the Buffy bot. So like that's I will. Although I will say April, the robot. Also, had some good stuff going on. I really like that. Right. Um, the scene that's in the credits starting next season where Anya is dancing at the bronze. Oh, I yeah. think Anya looks so incredibly fun and cute in that. Oh, yeah. What what episode? I forget what episode that's from. Do you remember? It's. I, it might be from... It might be from I Was Made to Love You, maybe, right? No. It's either from Fool for Love or Crush, because it's one of the ones where Spike comes to the bronze and Buffy won't like talk right. to him the friend and he gets all like pissy right anthony oh i think mine is a little sad but my favorite outfit in the whole season is the dress joyce tries on for her date with brian that she's spinning around and she's super she's super nervous and the girls keep making her spin and it's so pretty 
and it's so perfect and it's the last time we see her and it just makes me so like I get all these like mom feelings and like all these like Joyce feelings but I also think it's a really beautiful dress on her it's like a nice farewell like that moment where she's teasing Buffy and she's like she left her bra on the dessert cart it's just like so cute um all right so I can't believe none of you picked Glory's red dress what the hell's wrong with you people oh okay yeah <laughs> Fair oh point. my god, we didn't see the glory outfits. You're right. <laughs> yeah, we're we're bad and stupid. <laughs> I was like, oh, everyone's gonna say glory's dress. Should I not even ask this question? But clearly, everyone didn't say that. Oh, I like also, also when they throw glitter on glory. Yeah. Oh yeah. She, and she gets mad. Why would she I'm like, mad? I want her to wear the glitter all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I like Ben in glory's dresses. That was totally. a, that was yeah. an opening moment. It's like, oh boy, that yeah. like. Dorito body in that dress. <laughs> oh, after the truck like mails her and like sends yes. her flying on top of the car and then he changes. And I so want to see how that scene continues and how he like <laughs> walks home from the college campus in yeah. this like lacy on top no of Uber like then. dress thing. Yeah. yeah. I like to think that he's walking or like on a bus. <laughs> <laughs> the like worst walk of shame. <laughs> yeah, for real. There's a really specific moment where he transforms and then we pan out and we see him in the dress and he's like really sweaty that I have really vivid memories of. And he for looks some good. Yeah. <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I'm going to cheat because Glory's red dress, I think, is just absolutely iconic. I think Buffy's, uh, would you say, Trixie, casual separates? Casual separates. From the gift. I think... Welcome to the stage, casual separates. <laughs> yeah, that's like, so, in drag world, it's like a really good read. If like someone's wearing something off the rack, like, no, you look great. You know, casual separates. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. <laughs> um, I think that's like an iconic look. I don't love it as much as I love her in the black leather jacket and leather pants. I think that's like peak Buffy. I like Willow's, like, pink lesbian, like, predecessor Renaissance Fair dressed. It's, like, what she wears in season six all the time. But I like that inspire in a tough love. Yeah. So, I don't, I think we can all maybe agree. Who do... I think uh, Claire Kramer is probably the MVP. I was going to ask you what you all thought. Who you would consider oh, the MVP this season. She's the MVP, completely. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, all of them uh, are always A+, but... Anthony shout out to Christine Sutherland though as Joyce like she really has to she has to play a lot of very strange like career moments like realizing a child is not your child but still loving them is like a very odd moment to play she has to play like mentally unwell for a passage and then she has to play dead for like like yeah. a week of her life like <laughs> yeah she, she, she went through a lot like i don't think it would be fun to be zipped into a body bag and being like don't blink you know yeah so, <laughs> hold uh, your breath think, yeah now we're gonna grade the season i'm gonna just go first with my a plus because whatever i'm predictable um joe what do you grade it yeah a plus it's it's my second favorite season behind season three i really i love it even the elements that I are not my faves at the time. They didn't bother me at all. It's, it's a lot of it is, you know, stuff that kind of bugged me later on, but everything, the way it goes down this season is so perfect. And I think as you mentioned, and I agreed with like the last five or six episodes, honestly, even from like, just from the body on forward is a flawless set of episodes. All right. Uh, Anthony. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is, my other one is season two, but season two and season five are like the perfect 
episode, that perfect seasons of television to me, especially for something that's a 22 episode season. Like, I can't believe what it must have been like. They must have felt like Buffy where it's just like, this is too much. How do we <laughs> live through this? Like, it really is just like Herculean. And the fact that they managed to stick the landing as well as they did uh, is amazing to me. All right. So eight, eight, whatever, how many pluses I can add. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, Trixie, what do you do this season? Uh, it's an A+. Plus. All right. Totally a plus. I don't really know what they would do differently. Everything seems important. Even the even the B storylines and the episodes like Triangle Letters for Fun, they just are so... They fill the space so well. How could you cut take it out, you know? Right. I'm, I think... So my only... That would be my only critique is while this does emotion better, I think season three a little slightly better does, hey, we have the story, but also here are standalone episodes. <laughs> And cutting to the mayor and Faith still showing them do the story stuff, but not having enough of, like, there. I think there maybe needed to be one or two more triangle-type episodes. I wish I wish I'd had more of a clue about Buffy's blood before the finale. Like, it doesn't right. come yeah, up until... Yeah, they did sort of, like, pull that out of a hat. Yeah, and also, like, they ca- suddenly Olaf is a troll god, which is something they never said until the right. finale, like... The the gift has to move a little bit of furniture that wasn't quite moved in time for the ending. Yeah. Um, and I wish that had happened a little. Like, I get why. Like, you don't want to tip your hand. You don't want right. people to figure out Buffy can right. die so Dawn doesn't. But it all happens very tightly. And I admire how fast it does it. But it should have come up at some point sooner. The monk should have said something. The um, way Anya says troll god is the power of confidence, where it's like she says it so confidently that I'm that like, like, oh, yeah. I, I must have missed it. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, really, that's all I need in my life. Someone to say something confidently and I'm like, you know what? You're yes. right. <laughs> Maybe yeah. I don't like Buffy. <laughs> like, if you watch that scene again, the the confidence with which James Marsters has to say, of course, it always has to be blood. Like, yeah. that is moving... Yeah. A tremendous amount of furniture very quickly, right? Yeah, very true. Yeah, so I guess we're at the end. All right, and that is season five of Buffy the Vampire Slayer here on Slayer Fest 98. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and other places. You can follow us on Twitter at SlayerFestX98. You can follow me, Trixie Mattel, on every platform at Trixie Mattel and catch Super Drags on Netflix right now. Yeah. Uh, Ian, where can we find you? Um, you can find me also on all platforms under one name, Ian X Carlos. Anthony, where can people find you? Oh, I'm also on all platforms as Mia Koopa, M E A K O O P A. Joe, where can everyone find you? I am on Twitter and Letterboxd as at Joe Reed, R E I D is how you spell Reed. I am also uh, co hosting the podcast This Had Oscar Buzz, which you can find on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you for closing out season five with me, the three of you wonderful babes. Yeah, and we'll see everyone next season for season six. Bye. 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 Bye.